Good morning, this is Nick Augustine here with Mark Scroggins. We're at Scroggins Law Group in Frisco, and today we're talking about issues in a temporary orders hearing. Hey Nick, how are you? I'm doing well, how are you Mark? So far so good. All right, so it's third week in September. Yeah, so we are starting to get, uh, you know, more and more people are calling in with uh, <clears throat> with issues in, in divorce, and uh, one of the things that always comes up are, you know, temporary orders, so... Right. And people want to know, what is this temporary orders hearing? What does it mean to me? Right. Why prepare? We're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about where we're going to live, parental rights and duties, and all sorts of good stuff. So right. Right. Let's kick it off with um, who's going to pay for what during the divorce? <laughs> and that that is a great question. Okay. So um, I'm going to try to make this as succinct as I can. And the answer to that is um, it really depends on the circumstances of the parties. Okay. So uh, if you've got one person, let me back up for just a second. In theory, everything should be paid out of the community estate. Okay. Mm. Uh, that is really the way the law is in that, um, the community is going to be what is responsible for paying for, for fees where we run into, where we run into question marks of, of uh, related to things are if someone has been the primary wage earner or has been the sole wage earner. Okay, and someone has been a stay-at-home parent, you know, stay-at-home dad, stay-at-home mom, whatever. That person obviously is, you know, kind of sitting there going, "Well, how the hell do I pay for this? I don't have an income." Well, one of the things that the court is going to expect is go get a job. Okay, now the question is, what are they prepared to be able to go get? You know, are they educated? Uh, are they educated but haven't been in the workforce for twenty years? Do they have to go back to you know get a refresher? Think about if you were a you know, here we are in 2019. Let's think of if it was 1999 IT. Well, yeah, it's a whole different world than than what it was in 1999. Actually, as an aside, there's a thing called the Wayback Machine. It's a website where you can go look at old websites back yes, in the past. Right. And you can see what Google looked like back in the nine, 1999. It, it's a trip. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole different beast. So it is much easier if... Um, you know, if both folks are are uh, are working, and you know, if they make if they make about the same amount of money, you know, you can pretty much tell that you know you're going to pay for your stuff, and the other person's going to pay for their stuff. Okay, and I'm just talking about attorneys' fees there. Um, it is vastly different, like I said, when one person is the wage earner and the other person is not. Now, let me also premise this by saying, uh, you know, with who pays for what, that is also going to be determined by what can you and your spouse agree on. If y'all can agree on stuff, then, you know, y'all can always make agreements on how we're going to deal with everything, okay? But if you're coming in and talking to me, then the odds are that y'all are at that point of, hey, we can't agree on stuff, and that's the reason I need help. So typically, it's going to be one of those folks wearing a black robe that is going to make that determination. And so you have to put on evidence that is going to establish what monies do you need. So let's just, let's take a situation where you've got... Dad has been the the sole wager, okay? And let's say he's a, you know, makes a significant amount of money, you know, makes 250000 $250, a year or more, okay? And mom's been staying at home for a long time. And let's say you've got three kids, and the oldest of which is 13, okay? So maybe you've got uh, 8, 10, and 13, something like that, staying at home. Okay, so what is likely going to happen with that? Well, if mom has been a stay-at-home mom, unless there are some real issues with parenting there, meaning she's got a drug or alcohol issue, 
Um, you know, other things she has been grossly negligent on stuff. She has, um, she has some mental health issues that have gotten in the way. Um, and on top of that, dad has been very involved. Okay. Mm-hmm. Unless you have a situation like that, what is typically going to happen is mom and the kids are going to be staying in the house. Dad's going to be ordered to move out and he's going to have a possession schedule. Um, but he's also probably going to be ordered to pay temporary spousal support. Okay. Which is completely different, although very similar uh, to, to spousal maintenance. Okay. Temporary spousal support is something that just happens during the pendency of the divorce action. It can happen for a few months. It can happen for the entirety of the proceeding. It is all fact specific. So this is not a cookie cutter thing. I am speaking very much in generalities mm-hmm. right now. Okay. So, so that is typically the way that is, is going to run. But mom is also going to probably receive an edict of go get a job, you know, or she's going to have to explain to the court that, Hey, I need to go back. And I've already looked into, um, you know, taking this refresher course. So like in, uh, with lawyers, we have to have a certain amount of continuing legal education every year. Okay. You have to have 15 hours a year. Um, if you are uh, a member of the state bar college, you have to have more than that. You know, folks that are board certified are expected to have more than that. You know, so there are all these different things. So I have to take, you know, I take in excess of 30, 30 hours a, a year. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, so like I said, if we were looking at this person who was a, you know, an IT guru in 1999, you know, she's probably going to have to take some, some classes to get up to speed on just what the hell's going on. Right. I'm going to start over. Right. And then they also have that problem of trying to, let's say, then they've got all the training mm-hmm. uh, that is necessary, trying to reenter the workforce. You've got to go in and explain how, you know, why you haven't been in the workforce and explain to, uh, to your, your future employer uh, no, you really are serious. You really are going to do, uh, you know, you really are going to work for a living now instead of, you know, being a state home. And so these are all issues that, you know, that come up and you have to be able to put forth evidence about that. Yeah. A question that pops up in my head. If I were in that situation, I would wonder, well, am I going to need to arguably underemploy myself at a lower level position just to put food on the table? Or do I have the luxury of continue on uh, the luxury, but continuing to try to get that job that I'm doing my retraining for and entering the workplace when that may be an uphill battle. That is a, that is a great question. Uh, and let me, let me, let me address one thing you talked about. You just used a, a very important term underemployed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Underemployed is something that comes into play in child support areas all the time. So like every once in a while I get someone who says, I'm going to quit my job and then they can't get anything. Yeah, yeah, they can't. Okay. That's intentionally unemployed. Okay. Or someone says, I'm not going to accept this. Uh, you know, I'm going to quit working overtime or I'm going to quit doing this or I'm going to quit doing that. And I'm not going to make my quota, you know, this, that, and the other. That's intentionally underemployed. The significance of that is in a child support case, a court can look at it and go, you know what? That's bullshit. Yeah. And I'm going to hit you at what you were making before. So. Just to address that, because those are legal terms of art real quick that, that get used and, and people don't understand. So what, you know, what the, the common language and the legal language don't always, don't always meet up. So back to your question of if someone would have to take 
a lower level job. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way, instead of their dream job. And the answer is, yeah, yes. You know, you're not. A court is only going to have so much patience with trying to get a job. Okay, at some point, it's just like just get a freaking job so you are contributing. Okay, you can continue to look and try to you know send out resumes and do whatever you need to do to try to you know uh, get get the job you want or get a better paying job and all that. But it's just like anybody who's out of a job. You know, at a certain point. When push comes to shove, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. You know, and so that is the case. Now you've got to be able to show that. So how do you show that kind of stuff? Well, you need to have a list of where you've sent resumes and, mm-hmm. you know, emails and all that kind of stuff to show what you have been doing so that you can prove to the court that you're not just sitting on your ass. Here's my job diary. That's exactly right. Exactly. That's exactly right. All right. Well, one of the other things that we're going to come up with at the temporary orders hearing, um, aside from money and who's paying for what, is and we touched on it a little bit before, you know, you said right. in the situation, who's going to live where? Right. Um, how contentious does that get? Or is that one of the more easier things to figure out sometimes? Well, you know, it depends. Is there, you know, are there kids involved? Uh-huh. Okay. How many kids? What are their ages? Has someone been a stay at home? Uh, what is the ability to pay for everything associated with the house? Mm-hmm. I mean, so all of these are factors that come into play. The biggest one, in my opinion... Is generally who's going to be primary, meaning who's going to have the exclusive right to establish the primary domicile on a temporary basis for the kids, okay? Because during the pendency of the lawsuit, temporary orders are basically designed to maintain the status quo. And in my opinion, the biggest part of that is trying to maintain the status quo as it relates to the kids, as much as possible. Right. So if there is a way to do it, generally, I think courts like to keep the kids in the house with whoever is going to be quote unquote primary. Okay. Um, now that is, that's just generally what happens there. You know, you in, you see it here occasionally, but I have never seen a court actually order it. Um, it is generally done by agreement. It is a much bigger movement in other states of what is called nesting, which is the kids stay where the kids are, and mom and dad move in and out. I was almost going to bring that up, but I yeah. thought that might be a little bit like too. But it more. happens. It happens. But I, I still, I've never seen a court order that. Um, but I have seen, uh, I have seen it done. Uh, Plenty of times where it's been negotiated. Huh. It's it is great in theory. It takes a special kind of <laughs> folks to make it work in right. practical application. Um, you know, because there is a sense there can be a real sense of being violated. You know, if you've got your personal stuff and you're wondering, well, while I'm out of the house, is he or she rifling through my stuff or we treat our house like a hotel you know and pull our stuff in storage you know and then take our suitcase and live out of that yeah i mean it's just it's just it is fraught with uh problems uh but you have like i said it takes a special a special group of people to be able to make that work you know it seems to me like it would put the children in an interesting position where I know how I would feel if I were in that situation as the oldest of three boys. I would feel like this is my house. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And it's like, who's the authority? It's just, it's, it's, 
it's a very, like you said, very interesting. Yeah, and I mean, it takes there's the right people. It does. I mean, and there's, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on it because it's something that comes up very infrequently. Right. You know, just because, like I said, I haven't seen courts order it, and most people don't want to do that. You know, especially generally, you've gotten to a to a level where there's, uh, you know, there's there's a pretty heightened level of distrust between the parties. So you know, leaving clothes, leaving. Any kind of records at the house, you know, it's kind of, it, it pretty much is an open invitation to have that stuff rifled, you know, and uh, I know I would not feel comfortable with that. I don't want someone, you know, rifling through my my clothes or, you know, searching stuff. Or I mean, are it's they just, putting a bugging device under the dresser drawer? Well, if they, they do that, they're looking to get prosecuted because that's a that's a big no, no. Yeah. <laughs> and not just in Texas, but in any state. From what I understand, so there's there's all sorts of things I could go. One of the things that you when you uh, you approach know, the subject, um, you talk about doing things by agreement. And when we look at a temporary orders hearing, and we know that we we talked about many times in the past that there's limited time for these. Correct. And preparing in advance, the more you can get hammered out by agreement allows you and your attorney and everyone to focus on what the you know real hot button conflicted issues. Well, it does. I mean, you know, so here's my experience in these things are either you're going to reach an agreement um, on the temporary orders or you're not. It's, mm. it's very, it doesn't happen a whole lot where you agree, especially when you start talking about parental rights or things like that. That kind of stuff generally is not hammered out prior to, I mean, because it, um, you know, the court's going to make that determination. And so let's talk about some of these. Okay. So you heard me mention the exclusive right to establish the primary domicile of the children. Okay. So in that situation, that is typically going to be the person who's going to stay in the house with the kids and all, and all that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then you have a bunch of other rights and duties. So the, the right to make, um, medical decisions for the children in non-emergent situations. Okay. So a lot of people say, well, what is that? Well, if you've got, you know, if you've got your kiddo and they're playing on the, uh, on the jungle gym and someone falls and breaks an arm, obviously you can take the kid and get them fixed up. Okay. But let's say that you've got a 14 year old girl. Okay. And that girl has a birthmark. Okay. And it's, uh, prominently displayed on an arm or a leg or anywhere that's, you know, very visible. Okay. And she wants to get it removed and you want to get it removed. But the spouse who has the exclusive right to make those decisions doesn't want to, well, guess what? You don't have the authority to do that. Okay. So how can that decision be made? Well, it can be made one of a number of different ways. If you're sole managing conservator, you're going to have all these are going to be exclusive rights. Okay. But just because you are joint managing conservator on a temporary basis does not mean that the court can't order exclusive. The court can and does an awful lot of time, depending on what the facts are. So if you've got one, one parent who is a doctor, okay. And one party who is part of the anti-vaxxer crowd, just guess who's going to probably be given exclusive rights to make medical decisions. Okay. I can tell you it's going to be the doctor unless you can really show, you know, show a reason that it shouldn't be. I mean, you know, generally that hasn't grabbed hold, uh, in North Texas, the way it has in 
certain other areas. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, you know we see some of the ramifications of, of some of this now. Um, anyway, but that's neither neither here nor there. So you have other things like the right to make decisions related to uh, psychological or psychiatric treatment, the right to make educational decisions, the right to decide if a child can marry early, the right to decide if a child can enlist in the military early, okay? Um, Those last two don't come up as much. So the big ones tend to be education, medical, psychological, and psychiatric. Okay. And so the court can order that one person have exclusive rights, can order that you have independent rights, which means that either one of y'all can make that decision. They can order that uh, someone has the exclusive right, but has to have, uh, has to conference with the other parent about it first, or independent with having to conference first, or independent with having to provide notice. Okay. So, those last three, the similarity is you can do what the hell you want to do, okay? So if I have to give you notice that I'm taking our son in for something, uh, all I have to do is say, hey, I'm taking him in for such and right. such. If I have to conference with you about it, it's, hey, I think we ought to take him in for this. What do you think? Absolutely not. I don't think that we should do that. Okay, great. Thank you. Goodbye. Hang up. Go take him wherever the hell you want to do, okay? Yeah. so. It can be done a lot of different ways. Now, what you you know, the easiest thing for a court to do is just say independent. Okay, it's kind of a cop out in my opinion. You know, uh, but it's the easiest. It's the easiest thing to do. Just say you both can do that. That can be a real problem in um, with educational decisions, medical, and with psychological and psychiatric. That's the reason I bring those three up the most um, because people have such differing views. So. Big areas. I've, I, you know, I had a case a couple years ago that had a significant amount of, lit, of litigation about educational decisions, and it was about you know whether or not a child should remain in an AP class. And I mean, it was a mess. It was a mess. And I can uh, understand it though. Yeah, and uh, so you know that kind of stuff happens, or you know the stuff that I mentioned with a birthmark or. Um, Sports and football too, things like that. I well, that's a it. that's a little different. That's an extracurricular, and let's let's get to that here mm-hmm. in just a second. But psychological and psychiatric is huge too, mm-hmm. because you know there is you've got two different. Let me back up for just a second. You have an awful lot of kids today that get diagnosed with ADD, ADHD, or you know, or some variation thereof. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there, is, there are many different opinions as to whether there is an overdiagnosis of those where, you know, sometimes there's something about just having a difficult kid, you know, that's just high strung. Okay. And then there are differing views on, okay, so if the kid is diagnosed with this, uh, should he or she be medicated? Totally different views on that, you know. There are, uh, so, (laughs) you know, opinions are like elbows, right? Everybody's got one. That's right. So, uh, so those are things that can be heavily, heavily litigated. And so when you're talking about a temporary order hearing, you know, I've got a case right now where, you know, that is one of the biggest issues is medical, 
medical, psychological, and psychiatric. And there's a huge fight going on as it relates to that. You've got one party that, you know, has is saying that these kids need to have this and the other one that's saying, no, there really aren't any problems. And so what do we have to do on a hearing, a temporary order hearing, and then a final trial? You've got to bring in all of these experts, okay? So how does that affect you in a temporary order hearing? Well, it depends on the county, okay? In Dallas County, you will pretty much be fine because you can get the amount of time that you need. Um, in Denton, I think you should be fine. You just need to make sure you're on the right docket because generally they have an under an hour docket and they've got over an hour docket. And if you tell them that I need a half day on this, most courts are pretty good about giving that to you. Collin County is a different beast. It is 20 minutes per side and most of the judges are pretty adamant about sticking to that. And I get it from the standpoint of docket control, mm -hmm. okay? Because they've got a ton of, uh, you know, a ton of cases. I mean, Collin County has just exploded. Oh, yeah. The more people move here, the more cases. You need to add more judges. Well, and they're they're in the process of adding two more two more courts yeah. right now, you know. Oh, and, yeah, and that's going to just expand, uh, I would think. So, so the problem, the problem is with that 20 minute per side rule, if you've got, if you've got the need for a bunch of expert testimony, uh, guess what? 20 minutes isn't enough, yeah. right? Isn't enough. So you need to, you need to file the appropriate motion to get in front of the court to ask to, to seek to have that expanded. And you need to make sure you've got a lawyer that knows what the hell they're doing so that you can set that up so that even if there is a denial of that by the court, you've got the possibility to pursue that possibly on mandamus, which is an expedited appeal, or at the end on an appeal. And I'm not going to get into those because mandamus, right. mandamus is very limited when you can actually do that. Um, so it, it takes a very special set of circumstances, basically saying there is not, without doing this expedited appeal, there's no way to actually get the relief you need. Okay. And so there may or there may not be ways to attack that depending on what the specific issues are in your case. Okay. But it's important that if you've got, you know, to, to spend the time to go through with your attorney of these are what the issues are. Here's what I am most concerned about because if we've got something, you know, when the kids go over to his house, they aren't going to take any of the meds. He isn't going to give them to them. And so I'm going to get them back and it's trying to get them back, you know, and anybody who knows anything about, um, about psychological medication is one, you shouldn't just stop taking it. Right. Okay. Dangerous. It's dangerous. And the second is doing that. Even if you don't have side effects, physical side effects from it, bouncing on and off of the medication does not allow you to get to a therapeutic dose, which means that it didn't do it any damn good. So, so that's the problem that you run into. I remember a case that I was worked that worked on many years ago where that would happen and every, you know, the kid would come back after the weekend and dad wouldn't give him the pills. Right. Mom is freaking out. Can you imagine what this kid is going through? Every time there's a visitation exchange, this is the, you know, the thing that they're dealing with. And the sure. kid's probably terribly upset, doesn't know what to think. You know, it's a, it can be a real mess. Well, there's no question. There, there's, there's no question. So that's why these, that's why these issues are so important. Yep. And so, you know, it is not a cookie cutter response that I can give on, you know, who's going to pay for what, where am I going to live? What are the rights and duties going to be? How is that going to be divided up? Because it all depends on the particular case. Mm -hmm. You know, some cases 
it's easy to figure that out. And frankly, you know, you can reach an agreement with the other party. But if you've got, you know, if you've got real um, disagreements, um, different philosophies on how certain parenting things should be done and medication and uh, diagnosis of um, certain certain psychiatric or psychological issues in children, those can be very, very hotly uh, and heavily debated and litigated. There you go. All right, well, that about wraps up general issues people can expect in temporary orders hearing. For more information, how should they be in touch with you? You can always call us at 214-469-3100, uh, or you can just send me an email, mark at scrogginslawgroup.com. All right. Well, thank you all for listening, and please do share this uh, podcast if you find it in social media, because you just never know who's looking for exactly this kind of information. Thank you much.